That was a great name of a song right there, Chris. Uh, Fentanyl Baba. <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, why not? You know, like, hey, and you know what? The, the crazy things I say, it might save a kid from sucking on a fentanyl baba. You know? That's stupid punk rock. I don't, you know, I just think of it as rock and roll because that's what it is. Neighbors. We're here with the Punk Rock Chronicles with our usual crew. Uh, can you introduce yourselves, guys? John Lydon from the Sex Pistols over here. <laughs> you wankers, I don't even like you. I'm glad you know why I'm here. I don't want to introduce myself. No, I made it up first. Okay, Ramon. Okay. Ramon's Bob the Bastard. A bunch of wankers <laughs> from, from Queens that didn't make it up. Chris the producer, Bob the Bastard, and then we have us, and then I'm Stan, and Hi, then Stan. we have a special guest host today by the name of Casey Royer, who's going to be joining us on this episode because we've got some really interesting things to talk about. Uh, so, Casey, how are you doing? Things are amazing, Stan. If I could really let you know, elaborate, which is a word I really can't spell. Um, I'm, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So, yeah, we're stoked to have Casey in with us today. Um, Casey's been on fire lately. So you've been playing in the Rattlescence, like, consistently. Lots of uh, shows. Lots of shows. And then you, DI, of course, and who knows what else is going on. So, yeah, can you just talk a little bit about what life is like for Casey these days? Just playing shows, like you said. The kids are out there in masses. You know, the kids, kids had kids. Now there's like 13 and 14-year-old kids out there that look like they're actually, you know, where they come from and how did they really get the records? And it was their parents that gave them because they were in the scene when we were there. So things are good, just playing shows with uh, both bands, Adolescence. You know, that's Adolescence without Tony, you know, because, you know, he has guys that weren't in the Adolescence in the Adolescence and Steve passed. It's a, that's a whole, like, you know, strange story in itself. But other than so, that, we're DI's doing great. We've we play, been playing shows all the time. Just got off a little Northern Cal tour, a couple in Tacoma, and uh, and then uh, Portland and Seattle, and then flew back home, and then went to the same exact tour with the Rattlescence. I was seeing DI flyers at the Rattlescence shows when I was playing there. It was just bizarre, but it was a lot of fun, man. It's yeah. like the You're gigs, all over the place. The gigs are happening, Stan. The gigs are happening. The content is there. Nice. So the gigs are happening, and you've been involved in a lot of projects lately. Um, I wanted to ask you about one that I just recently heard about that I wasn't aware of, uh, The Immortals. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, can you talk a little bit yeah, about that? Yeah, with Aaron, with Aaron and Mark. Yeah, they're a, they're a couple cool friends of mine. We're just doing, like, surf bands, surf music, you know, kind of like, you know, just basically kind of like quirky surf music, you know, big board, you know, surfboard, stuff like that, songs that are like, you know, surf stomp, just, you know, kind of instrumentally simple songs. Surf stomp. It sounds kind of like, you know, like early Circle Jerks meets like The Ventures kind oh, of thing. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty weird. It's pretty yeah. great. You know, it's a lot of fun. And so I'm playing drums and Aaron's playing guitar or uh, bass and, uh, and uh, Mark is playing a guitar. I can't remember. Now, Mark's is this a, a gigging band? Or? No, we're just recording and stuff and uh -huh. having fun in Huntington Beach and just like writing songs about, you know, just waves and having fun and just like maybe get a gig or two. But he, Mark wanted to get a recording with uh, me on drums and, you know, I said, cool, I'll do it. So we've got some pretty cool songs and, yeah, the Immortals are happening. And then there's the uh, 
there's just, you know, DI's doing stuff. We're working on a new album right now. And then the Radolescents are working on a new album that's going to be in the vein of the Adolescence Blue album that we did in 81 or 2. And it's going to be with that kind of formula, Rick Agnew. We'll be you know writing most of it. Well, since you mentioned Rick, could you talk about the lineup of the Rattle Lessons for people who don't know? Yeah, yeah, um, of course. Uh, Frank Agnew Jr., Frank Senior from the Adolescents is singing. So Frank Jr. is the perfect you know he's the perfect prodigy for that position because he grew up with his uncle and his dad were in the Adolescents. It's almost almost a spiritual meets a DNA kind of combo. So he is just so good at it and stuff. And then John O'Donovan, our guitar player, was in the adolescence like about six months before I was in the adolescence writing some of the, you know, with about three or four of the songs that were written for the Blue Record were already being played with another drummer, Peter Pan, uh-huh. and John O'Donovan. And then me and Rick just merged with them and we recorded and made the real adolescence. Huh. So amazing. it's pretty weird. Yeah, Steve Soto and, uh, you know, God rest his soul, he's up there somewhere. And, uh, yeah, so he uh, had a major, you know, factor in that whole stuff, that whole thing, you know. And uh, it was, you know, when they formed the adolescence, I guess this is a funny story. Uh, Scott Miller, I love Scott Miller, Agent Orange drummer, but I got a thing from Steve Soto going, like, let's start a band and with, uh, I'm going to leave Agent Orange because Casey's a better drummer than Scott Miller. And I won't know. That's, that's so old school, like, trash talk. But that's like 35, 38, uh, 40 years ago. But it was pretty funny because, uh, you know, with Steve, they were all just putting together bands and Steve was like, Steve was living with his parents and he couldn't cuss on the album or he'd get kicked out. His parents were heavy Catholics. So they're all, he was only, you know, I think Steve was like 16 when we got the band together, and I was like 19, or 18, 18 or 19, and so they were really young, and they had some time, you know, they had to like, you know, had to contend with their moms and dads, and you know, saying stuff like that. But yeah, so, you know, punk is fresh. Punk is good. In fact, we played with these 14-year-olds up in Santa Rosa, the, uh, the uh, D.I. did, and they were singing, no, Radolescence, and they were singing every word to every song, and they're 14. I mean, you know, yeah. they're a quarter of my age. You know, it's all like, wait a minute, how do you guys know so much? Educated because of, like, you know, the University of YouTube and their dads and moms. Yeah. Hall had that collection of Black Flag to, you know. First pressings, I'm sure. First pressings, because there was a bunch of first pressings out there, you know. I mean, I think the Frontier Records' first run of records that came out was Suicidal, Circle Jerks, Adolescence, TSOL, China White, and... I can't remember what it was. And all these years all, later, all, most, yeah. all those bands are still active. Yeah, that's pretty weird. That's, it is. So when you're playing the shows now with the Radolescence, does it have? Does it make you feel like? Do you feel it? Feel like it did back in the day? Does it feel like you're with the the same band? Very good question, my friend. But it does because of the tone of Rick's guitar. Because he wrote the record, so he attacked. The attack is the same, yeah. and his strumming and everything's the same from that era. And then my mechanics on the drums are kind of weird because I'm kind of a jazz. My, my I learned from my uncle in the eighty or like the sixties, late sixties. I was like eight years old, and like I was my drummer. My uncle was a jazz drummer, so I have a shuffle beat in there with my rock beat. So it kind of changed things up. So when we played that style with Rick's attack. Yeah. And then Frank Agnew Jr.'s t- tone singing, I mean, he's been trained to be the pro singer almost, like of the rats. It, 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 it hits a noodle in your head. The noodle just goes, 
you know, starts wiggling around and going, do you remember? Do you remember? And, like, I've had people from Milo came up to us and Fletcher from Pennywise saying, man, I haven't heard it sound like that in 35 years. I am blown away. What a compliment. Yeah, it was. You know, I'm getting so much love for, like, my position in life. I just, you know, it's really amazing. Are you guys going to be doing anything, like, international? I know DI went international a couple of years ago, right? Before yeah. COVID. Uh, you any plans going overseas? Well, we did 30 days in a row. Um... 2019 then everything shut down we played milan and then a month later everybody 5,000 died in milan and it was smelled stinky in there like some sort of weird cheese or some cheese wine kind of stinky moldy yucky but you know it can't change it it's like historic paint so uh so everybody died there they closed down the airport so we like got over to like uh, jfk in like um in New York, we're all made it to JFK. Closed all the airports, international, we're all made it. Then they closed up JFK when we got from there to LA, and then they closed everything. Uh, so we're all barely like, made oh, it. And we barely made it. I think Ross wow. of GBH lives with Eddie Tatter, my bass player. So he, he got stuck in Birmingham. So I can't come home. I can't come back. I don't even live here anymore. <laughs> no, that's more English. <laughs> but no, we did a tour in 2019 that was a rad, great tour. First time in t- 20 years, and we had people that were supporting us back in the day that were still there. It was just incredible. We had a great, great tour. In fact, we were in the top 10 of the critics at the Rebellion Fest. All the critics had us, you know, in like two to six of all the bands that played there. And that was like every punk band in the world plays that thing. But we hadn't been there in so long that our songs just that are instilled in these Europeans were really live. It was like you're seeing like something for the first time almost again. And it it just steamrolled them. And and the guys in DI right now, they're at the top of their game. You know, Clint Calton, Trevor Luca, and uh, Eddie and Joey Tatter, and who lost their dad about a month ago. God bless you, Joe Tatter Sr. Taught us all everything. Recipes. But... um, so we were at the top of our game, and we just smoked it. From Hangton and East Berlin, all these stupid songs we wrote, like years and years and years ago, people are instilled in people's lives. In fact, the tour manager, Benny, Clown House Productions out of Dusseldorf or somewhere, he said, uh, I'm all Clown House, where'd you get that name? You know, Dickies or something, Killer Clowns? He's all, no, the song Clown House from D.I., and I'm all like, what? And he's all, you're my favorite band. You know? And we're all like, wow, this is a mind blower. But it was pretty, pretty cool. And, um, so everything shut down in DI. Is, uh, we're going to go back there in 2023 to do Rebellion Fest again. Because they're doing an every other year thing they do with bands at that festival mm-hmm. most of the time. And um, so we're going to be on the next one. And we're working on the new album. And the Rattlelessons are getting requested to go to Europe. So... It's just because the because the blue album, yeah. the blue album is just so, well so, so it's classic. it's stupidly amazing. Like people start getting it, it clicks a switch in your head. You're all like, by the time we get to Wrecking Crew, well, you know who's who. Start with I Hate Children, and then just get into Wrecking Crew, and then who's uh, who's who in the Wrecking Crew. People just start just feeling like just it just blows their minds. They're like just jump up, and just start running around if they haven't been in a pit for years. Yeah. They just go. It just like hypnotizes them. The it's Adolescent. just really a trip. I mean, it was the first punk album we ever yeah. heard. And we're I, real- I would say for me, yeah, back when I was a little teeny young kid, a young punker as Chris was at one time. <laughs> he was had a mohawk. Did you have a mohawk, Chris, back in the day? I've never had a mohawk. Good man, good man. Mo- <laughs> there's you know skinheads aren't allowed in Mohawk Town, but but no. So it, it was all about just what we're doing right now. You guys just having fun and just like you know you know being you know. 
just having fun, pretty much. Well, what I love about the Rattlelessence shows is that there is a renewed sense of energy when you guys right. are playing right. that has been sort of missing. I wouldn't say anybody's been complacent, but there's just another level of it. Like, and I think it comes from the joy that you guys seem to have being on stage with one another right. and playing these songs that way that you've been wanting to play them for a while. Right, right, right. 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 Oh, yeah, exactly, because it's been, you know, like the... They, you know, I've had people that don't even know the controversy between the two bands, and they're like, the drummer doesn't really seem like he fits in with those songs, you know, like <laughs> like Word Attack or something or whatever song. And I'm all like, well, that's that's cool to hear. That's cool to hear. You know, but, you know, I, but, but it's a lot of fun because, like, it's actually bringing it back to the roots. And Rick Agnew, let me get back to the members real quickly because uh, there was John O'Donovan playing early, you know, guitar, and then Frank Agnew took kind of his place, and then Rick... And then Rick Agnew, the, you know, the hero, and then um, Dan Colburn, who was like he was grew up in the neighborhood. He was in DI for three years touring Europe. He played guitar two two and a half years for the adolescence, you know, and was you know he's on board the whole ride. So he was you know the most closest alumni of any friend that would had anything to do because he was in the bands. He was in DI for years. He was in the adolescence or the adolescence for years, and. Uh, so he's on uh, bass, and then that's pretty much it. You know, Frank Jr. singing. So it works out really good because we're all like just silly and dysfunctional as we used to be back then. I mean, maybe no drugs or anything, but you know, like little hissy fits, or you know, you can't <laughs> drink, or somebody will drink a beer, and like, what are you doing? You know, just whiny. We're whiny like we used yeah. to be. You know, and it's fun, <laughs> but we love each other. We'd never turn our, turn our backs on each other. You know what I mean? It is rad. You it's, guys are going into the studio, right? You're going to uh, do some things. We've already done some uh, some stuff. We did four songs, uh, old songs from the uh, from the singles. Uh, you know, like the singles collection, like Black Sheep and We Can't Change the World. And some I'm, you're probably familiar with those. Um, some of the early adolescence ones we did again with the adolescence for the Agnew movie being made by Gabe Zavala. They're doing a movie about the Agnew family, you know, from Alfie, who was in DI and stuff, and then Rick, who pioneered the deal, and then Frank Agnew. You know, it's a genius family. So there's, yeah, a, there's like a fan, there's a, and now we have Frank Jr. Yeah. It's rad. We had Frank Sr. play guitar once. It was Rick, Frank, Frank Jr., me, and... Uh, I think it was Dan playing bass, but it's just like, it's freaky fun magic, you know what I mean? Like all the pioneers of it get together, and there was a reason why that music was made like that. It sounded like that because of the energy that was brought together by the people that we're reconnecting with that aren't just show, kind of showboating, you know, kind of television show adolescence. Here's the new adolescence, you know, which, right. which we never said that we would call it that without having us be all in it. Right. So, and then some member of the adolescents said that Rick and I quit and we got kicked out. So for years we thought like, what? And everybody's all, yeah, we're all, duh, not good. You know, bad karma, lying and, you know, hostile takeover. But, I, you know, I don't even know what those words mean. So I didn't really care that much. You know, I'm just going on with my life and loving life. But that's pretty much what happened. So now the Rads are getting their just reward of, like, love and just respect, which means more than money and could even buy. And so now we're getting our deal together and having fun doing it. And we've been together seven years, and people are just coming to the shows. Like I said, 14-year-olds singing the songs, just 
like it used to be. And we're dicky, you know, we just say stupid stuff like we're not supposed to, you know, like we yeah. used to. We're not polished, you know, we're like, we're dumb. Rick throws his guitar every once in a while. Yeah. And we'll yell shut up to each other and stuff. It's funny. I mean, it's like what it used to be back when we were like, you know, dysfunctional. It comes across Wait that way. That, it, it does. It comes across like you guys are having a good time. And yeah. that obviously engages the crowd. It makes the whole night fun. Yeah, yeah. We smoke a lot of pot, but we really don't drink anymore. <laughs> There's no drugs. Yeah. Drugs are just bad for you, you know. Yeah, and with all the poisons in the world, you know, that's all you need is more poisons, fentanyl. I guess a couple of homeless guys dropped by the Newport Pier like last week. They did some bad meth or you did a bump and just walked out of the bathroom by the pier by Charlie's Chili and died. And then the guy died and he's all, hey, you all right, Billy? And then his bro that was asking died like within oh, seconds after crazy. each other. Yeah. So People dropping everywhere. Man. Yeah, so it's watch crazy. those street drugs, ladies and gentlemen, out yeah, there that, in like Chronicle World. Yeah, that fentanyl shit is, is killing a lot of people. Yeah. We lost a lot of people, man. Yeah, like I work musicians. I work at a children's hospital. We're getting kids nice. now. Nice. Oh. Popping pills and that. No, what it is is the parents, I guess if you're just like around it, you could OD on it. Yeah, it I read so. that. You like touch it, it or something. It goes into like, because these kids are just finding it. Little kids and stuff, too. Oh, man. That's a great name of a song right there, Chris. Uh, Fentanyl Baba. <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, why not? You know, like, hey, and you know what? The, the crazy things I say, it might save a kid from sucking on a fentanyl baba. You know, you know, because now yeah, would that man. be more of an FOA song or a rejected values type song? Man, watch your kids, watch your kids. They might be sucking on a fentanyl baba. That's, a, that's rejected values, dude. <laughs> washing you know, your hands, washing your hands, wash your hands. Get the fentanyl off. So you people out there might be witnessing the birth of some new new material. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I've got to write some songs about something, yeah. you know, because we've got so many albums out. How do you go keep better, than, better than the last one? You know, yeah. like where are you guys uh, recording uh, your your stuff right now? Uh, we just like um, well, we did. We just released about three albums of re-release of On the Western Front, which is on Cleopatra. Now that was on the uh, Suburban Noise with Kevin Zinger, that kind of zinged out of reality, and the Cottonmouth Kings, the Cot. Co Triple X? Cotton, cotton, something in the mouth, Kings. Um, they, uh, they fell apart, you know. So Brad X gave us the record. And he said, we put it on uh, Cleopatra, and that came out. And then we did the uh, cover album called Flashback Favorites, which was like a, a series of 13 cover, al cover songs that we did from the 60s and 70s. And then we just, uh, what else did we do? Um, oh, we released a Greatest Hits album. It's called Greatest... Uh, DI greatest hits A, A to Z. And we nice. hit almost every letter but Q. Wow. Yeah, pretty, pretty astounding. We have two R's, you know, Reagan DeFure, Richard Hunger's up. Yeah. And you know what? It's a fun it's a fun thing. It's on Cleopatra. They have the full catalog now. Well, I guess Nickel and Dime has the triple X catalog. We had the early DI stuff, like the horse bites dog cries, what good is grief, you know, live in a dive. Oh, you know, I think there's seven of them are on Nickel and Dime records, you know, but we're doing major Cleopatra stuff with our recent recordings and stuff. It's awesome. And he's, you know, and it came out pretty good. It was weird doing a cover album. We did like, you know, we did a Fleetwood Mac and some like, you know, Buffalo Springfield, you know, what, what for what it's worth. Uh -huh. And uh, it was hard. We thought it'd be easy. Ah, oh, it's easy. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, the chords that, that Fleetwood Mac's doing on the chain. Yeah. Have you ever tried to figure out what that is? <laughs> nope. We're all like, oh my God, uh, uh, never break the chain, you know. <laughs> It's a wow. But you know what? We got top recognition. We got, like, you know, we got hands up from, like, European reviews and stuff. Yeah, flashback favorites. It was a good one. You don't love me now. You will never love me. 
The material for these for Cleopatra this picked it. Okay, they and, and the, we the kind tracks. of arranged. Well, they picked now the songs, but I okay. said I wasn't going to do like a, a, a like a Michael Jackson song was out. Bon Jovi, I said oh, I'm not now. No, was even an option or? Yeah, well, they, yeah, we ran through lists and said oh. yes and no and yes and no and stuff. Karaoke oh, wow. night, and so but it, yeah. it, it ended up really really cool, you know. And check it out, you know, Rodney uh, Bingenheimer, you know, was the pioneer of the whole punk scene when we were kids. He was the only late night K rock radio station, and he connected with us because he was like, you know, a kid at heart. You know, he's from the '60s in a bunch of movies and stuff. But um, he uh, heard the greatest hit song. He's a podcast dude or has a you know internet show now compared to being at K-Rock, you know? Yeah. So he heard it, took the Buffalo Springfield song off it and put it on his show like 40, 40 years later when I was there and they put Amoeba on the turntable at his show. Yeah. And I'm all like, Rodney, I texted a you know, little shout out, I texted him and I'm all like, dude, thank you for like throwing that out there, you know, because we've been doing this for a long time. Probably longer than anybody has been connected, you know, from like in a duration of time from that adolescence thing all the way to the, his right. show now. So, yeah, it's a good one, you know, like it's a little upbeat, you know, you know, stop children, what's that sound, that kind of thing. And it's very pertinent because all the songs kind of like, you know, a lot of DI songs like re reflect things that were happening back in the day, like the Cold War, but now it's all makes sense again. And it's kind of trippy, you know, it's like, but it's crazy. Yeah, but it's just I mean, you guys. Yeah, you guys have. I mean, you haven't stopped, right? Not at all. Never, never. man. Just until the until the through. pandemic, that was the first time I didn't have a gig on a calendar forever. You yeah. know, since I was like, you know, kind of, you know, young, young. Oh, what it was like to be young in <laughs> English. You know, you were but, talking about. Uh, you were mentioning your discography with Di and. One of my favorite live albums ever is uh, Live at a Dive. Yeah, that's a great one. That was a tsunami recording. Yeah. We just got back from, I think that was recorded in 89 when we got back from Europe. And yeah. we were all like pretty much on point and it was just fun. And all of our friends were there, you know, because yeah. we were back home and really excited. Like, remember I said, like, you know, we just got back from Europe and everybody yeah. yelled, USA. Yeah. I mean, well, that was so excitingly cool. You said something else that, uh, that resonated with me. So, uh, you're great. You're great. We <laughs> like you so much. Would you like some cheese? You yes, said, I'll uh, take some of that cheese. That looks really good. <laughs> you said, you actually at one point said, hey, you know what? Uh, Orange County punk rock has made a statement around the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you were so right, dude. It really has. I was you know? so, like, I, I can't believe I unrehearsed, just say the dumbest things off the cuff. And that, that was such an emotional time to say something like that. Yeah. I could tell I was borderlining being great or dumb. How were those European crowds for you guys? <laughs> they were awesome, awesome. There's no rules or regulations in Europe. They let you drink outside. No rules most and of the time. regulations. Yeah, That's there's, great. there's no police. There's no guns. Yeah. So there's nobody shooting anybody. So nobody cares about anything. You all of a sudden you're all of a sudden you're and pretzels. Yeah. Well, that's a weird concept. Gun control. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah. that so the crowds. How about the were they singing the songs? Were they like you oh know, yeah yeah engaged? Oh yeah yeah. They don't definitely know the songs. The subcultures all over the place. We yeah. played a few Eastern Bloc cities on one of the tours, like Slovenia, Slovakia, and Yugoslavia, and places over there where the kids were like really, really poverty out. You know, I think it was the first time um, we toured with uh, MAD, second time, MAD out of uh, Berlin, Mark and Uta. How's it out there, Mark and Uta? <laughs> um, 
guten Tag, got any sh- no, I won't go there. But um, <laughs> yeah, so we went over there and we're just pioneering to places that the Germans hadn't gone yet. You know, we rolled into Poland and this Oldsmobile rolls up with like 50, like full of rifles and guns. Would you like some of, like, some of these? And we're all like, shut up. Where did you get all those guns? And then the German guys are all acting cool with them, you know. Yes, he's a nice Glock. But they thought, but we can't take him on tour back to Germany or anywhere. So it was kind of crazy, but it was fun. Yeah, every country knows what was going on. It so was pretty cool. I want to kind of circle back to why Casey even bothered to step into our third row studio today. Uh, Casey and I were actually... Well, I love you guys. We're, uh, yeah. Um, talking uh, a couple weeks ago, and he's all, dude, I got this uh, demo tape oh. that he's like, you know, and it's got this uh, boombox recording of Social Distortion when Casey started it back before the the newer version of the band started, but this is like the version that was started in Casey's bedroom. And so we're going to be playing the song. It's a groundbreaker, ladies and gentlemen. The groundbreaking song off that demo. Eruptive. Social Distortion with Casey on drums. And then who else is in the band? Well, this was was before uh, Dennis Donnell, John Maurer, and uh, Mike were playing that Mike said that was the first SD, which is, you know, just, you know, misconception for whatever reason may be. And, um, this is a SD that was recorded in my bedroom at my parents' house while I was uh, Mike was playing guitar, I was playing drums. Tom Corvin was singing. He was a six foot seven basketball player from Cal State Fullerton that I met when I was working for a student community facility where the students lived there and ate there. And Mike Ness worked in the kitchen. And I was kind of a cook. He was in eighth grade, and I was a sophomore in high school. And then we met Tom Corvin and started, because me and Mike would practice in my bedroom and we wrote Mommy's Little Monster, pretty much a two-piece. And then we got some friends to come in and pitch in because we were just making stuff up for the first time ever. You know, we're not like really, you know, recruiting anybody, just finding friends around. So this one has Tom Corvin, six-foot-seven basketball player. Now he's working for Channel 5, I think, in St. Louis. And Mark Garrett played bass, who was a, a hippie bass player I met my first year at Fullerton College. So this has got to be 70, 70. Uh, actually, it has Rick Agnew as bass. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if Rick's playing well, bass. We don't know if that, well, how accurate that is. We're going to have to clarify is. on that one. We'll clarify that but one. But the funny but, uh, thing is, it's Tom singing, and then me singing kind of the second verse, and it's like, an, uh, it's, a, it's what Moral Threat, the song Moral Threat, this is the song, that song, before Mike and I separated, and he called it Moral Threat, and this song is called Total Control. And it's got a whole different lyrics sung by a whole new different singer. Because Mike didn't really know how to play guitar back then. We were teaching him how to play guitar. So we were the older guys, so we were just kind of had this band together. And Mike was playing guitar. I mean, during the slow tempo change in in, uh, Total Control, in um, whatever moral threat is in this song, it's just, you know, I, uh, I arranged it with Mike exactly how it's arranged with Mike when he said I wasn't there. You know, so it's kind of like, you know, you know, I don't want to say like you know any badness about anybody, but it's, but history is history. You know, well, it's, it's yeah. like it's like under a, like under King Tut's uh, tomb, they found like a, <laughs> a a steel dagger, and steel hadn't been invented for another thousand years. It's one of those discoveries. Yes, it it's is. A similar parallel so this, to that. That kind of in, in depth. Just to be clear, so this does predate. Anything else from Social Distortion. This is like the yeah. earliest of early because it was just a two-piece in a bedroom when he first started. Right, right. And then he yeah. brought drums. Yeah, me on drums and singing, and then Tom Corbin singing right. and Mike Corbin. on guitar. Yeah. Right, okay. And, yeah. So and what year was that again? I, it says, I think it was 
It says 78. It says 78, but, but I'm thinking that's when Mike said that the John Maurer part started. So it's got to be 77. Wow. That's amazing. So let's listen it's to It's probably this. early 77 because I think I was, I don't know, right around there, 77, you know, seven, late you know, summer of 77, something like that. Okay, well, I think all of us are chomping at the bit here to hear this song. This so a, let's, uh, let's play it. Let's check let's it take, out. Let's take a quick break and play the song, guys. All right. Cheers. Cheers.
All right, man. That was fucking cool, dude. I'm Isn't so that glad gnarly? you brought that in. Dude, that is the gnarliest. It's I, the earliest the SD recording. I'm blown away, man. It's yeah. so weird. Boombox it's, action from 19, it's more a threat, but late it's not 1970s, pre-Detours, right? Right, pre-Detours, pre-everything, pre-Mommy's Little Monster album release, pre-anything being released by SD. I mean, and that your was mom like, was so cool, too, to let you guys practice, yeah. and you took in... Mike Ness, Yeah, right? brought Mike into my world because he's my best friend. And uh, his parents were divorcing, so he moved into my house for like until they settled their, you know, the divorce thing or whatever. And all got placed in uh, their places. And, yeah, so Mike was a, you know, we just, like, worked on music and just, like, tried to, he was learning how to play guitar. I'd been playing drums since I was about 10, so I'd played, like, for about 10 years at that point already. You know, maybe eight years, nine, but so I knew how to play drums, so. Wasn't he, like, in eighth grade and you were, yeah. like, a 10th or 11th well, grade? I, I was, I, yeah, Mike <laughs> was in eighth grade. He was in eighth grade, and I was, I think, a sophomore in high school, and that was in 76. Six. So the bands were playing, there were seniors, were playing God Save the Queen and Ramon songs at our Troy High School, and we were, like, he was eighth grade, I was a sophomore, and then, we were just going, whoa, we can start our own band. We're just, like, learning how to play anyway. So we just started writing some early songs, you know, and like, like Playpen. Up, right? Playpen used to be called In the Low, you know, like, uh, like, and, and Tom, Tommy Corvin, like, the words were Tommy tried, he tried so hard, he just didn't know, now he's low, dun, 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 dun. and it was, like, you know, a whole different, like, collection of the, the songs that Mike took and, like, redid. But, you know, I, we redid a couple songs from the Detours and took it to the Adolescence album that, that I was involved with, you know, when I was playing drums for some early Adolescence songs. And even Hank Ten in East Berlin was, was fathered by when I was playing drums for the Detours back in the day. But, you know, how, like, rock and roll morphs into different things, you just can't stop it. It's, you know, very incestuous but honest, you know, road to music. Yeah. And so just all the people in it, like I think there's about 50 or 60 of us that have been in a social distortion. And you know, like I think DI's <laughs> got 60 people, you know, 60 people over like, you know, 38 or 40 something years. So it's just pretty funny because like, you know, but the songs are what really stick, you know, like the songs are a magical tone vibration on your, your cerebral cortex that makes you flash back to where you heard that song for the first time. It's kind of a weird, like kind of scientific reaction to vibration but those songs that we wrote were influential in that respect to a lot of people, and we kept putting out the music, and the songs were you know, accepted and like related to, and now after all these years, those songs mean stuff to these people like me and anybody that's 20, 30 years younger than me because it was part of their lives and part of their, where they were when they heard those songs, and when they go see a gig, they're just like, it takes them back and they have a fun time. That includes everybody in this uh, studio. <laughs> everybody that we talk Pretty to much. that will be listening probably. Yeah, but, absolutely. But So it's a magic moment and stuff. And uh, Yeah, that early social distortion days was pretty cool because we, uh, you know, me and Mike were just working on the songs and then Mark Garrett rolled in. He, I think he wrote Playpen, which was called In the Low. And then, um, and then Tom Corbin, we met him when I was working at the student community for Cal State Fullerton. He was playing basketball and lived at the apartments that had a cafeteria. So I was a cook. Mike was a dishwasher. I met Tom. He wanted to learn how to surf. So I, I'm all, dude, I surf. So we got to be best friends. So he was the singer of SD, just out of sheer just stumbling into making just a band up out just of just friends. Just happened to be there, right? Just happened to be there, friends. So then, you know, Mark Gare was playing, you know, uh, bass. So we'd all three surf, and it was just... It was just the early days, so 
I love finding that tape. When I heard that tape, I couldn't believe it. I'm all like, oh, I like visually went back to my, you know, back to the early days when we were, you know, the drums are so bad. And like, the, you know, the song goes as four changes, you know, <laughs> slow part, flanger part, fast part, you know, just, it's just like. Yeah, it, it, flanger part, huh? it, I know, blew my mind. And we used to like, we used to put like floodlights, colored <laughs> floodlights under my drum set and smoke a lot of pot and go in my room. I can't believe my mom let me do that stuff. You know, like, oh, you know, like especially the sex this pistols. Is ruled. You know, you know, oh, I'm an anti Christ coming out of my room, you know, the Johnny Rod, and I can't believe they didn't institutionalize us. Well, well, at least we got we got lucky. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, but uh, well, talk a little bit about your un- your uncle. Yeah, who um, gave you the drums? He taught you Uncle how to play Skip. Drums, right? Yeah, Uncle Skip gave me the drums that I recorded on the album. And when I was like young, between five and ten, he had a drum set in the back of my grandma's house in Anaheim, where my grandma lived, and. Uh, I just play with him and toy with him while he's playing. He was a jazz drummer, hippie. He was a hippie, you know, like you know, you know, better dead than red, flower children, all that stuff, right? And um, so maybe that's why I got my sense of rebellion too, because they were kind of against the war and stuff like that. But he taught me how to kind of play drums and keep a beat, so I just learned young. And then Mike was learning how to play guitar, so I just say I can play drums. Let's just you know just jam, you know. So because we he really... hooked you up with that drum set, right? Um, who? Oh, Skip Griggs. Yeah, Skip, Skip right? Griggs did. Yeah. yeah, he gave me uh, my. Uh, it was a, a light Ludwig, lightwig, light maple Ludwig wood kit, and it had like a ten and ten and eleven inch rack toms. It was kind of a jazzy kit, and it was brand new. So everybody in the scene, because we're all kids, you know, they're all, ooh, look at that. Casey's got a cool drum set. You know, you know, appearance is ninety percent of the talent. <laughs> he must be good. You know, so like, so you must be good. So then I'm um, so I, you know, we just started writing that stuff, and I, so I used that 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 kit and then George Belanger of Christian Death you know the very first Christian Death record oh that's the last Frontier Records release record remember I said Suicidal yeah. all those uh, yeah it was Christian, Christian Death. Death yeah Christian Death was the sixth release genius release those albums yeah but um so uh George used my uh drum set from the Adolescence album on the very first Christian Death album because he borrowed it from me because it sounded great. You know what I mean? He's all yeah. like, dude, can I borrow your drums for the <laughs> recording? And you can see it on the very first Christian Death. Like, you can see the top of it and stuff. So um, so I thought that was kind of a special little worthless bit of trivia for the kids out there. None and of this trivia is worthless. So it's amazing, man. And it's cool to see all the little crisscrossing things that happened and, you know, what connected you guys. Um, I want to talk a little bit, just, just real quick, change the subjects. You mentioned, um, you know, the incestuous nature of all, all you guys playing in different bands and the combinations but outside of that um you guys have had a lot from the adolescent social distortion to di a lot of people have covered your music um yeah that's pretty crazy and one of them i remember was slayer that was pretty amazing how, how, oh, yeah. how, did that trip you out the slayer played di songs not really it was kind of strange you know it was kind of unexpected just because those guys, even though they do like punk rock, were in such a different genre that, you know, it was kind of interesting to have them just throw that out there, mm-hmm. especially doing two songs that I wrote words and music to. Right. And then finding out Jeff Hanneman of Slayer starts hanging around our DI shows and stuff and becomes a good friend of ours. I mean, he was like living in Hemet before he passed away. Jeff, you're up there. You're up there with Steve Soto and all those guys. So uh, there they are right there. Yeah, wow. uh, when he so, passed him, went to his memorial. Uh, yeah, and he had pictures of uh, of him sitting on the floor with a bunch of seven inches. And yeah. D.I. was prominently yeah, displayed. Yeah, T.S.O.L., D.I. Yeah. I think there were 12 inches. 12, oh, 12 inches, okay. It's yeah. all right. Sorry. But yeah, so he uh, he really loved D.I. and all that stuff. And um, 
So him and Carrie, Carrie's kind of a punker at heart, but he Carrie likes anything intense. You know, he doesn't even care. You know, because you know, there was a crossover between punk and speed metal at one time, where like Daglo Abortions kind of like scenario and all those guys, where it was kind of like, you know, hard to tell really what was going on. So everything was relying on charisma, which Slayer totally had. And when they played, when they played those songs, I just couldn't believe it. And uh, I remember seeing on YouTube, uh, they're playing Richard Hung himself, I think in Russia or Finland or something, in front of 300,000 people. And then Tom goes up there and goes, this is a song by a band called D.I. from Orange County, California. It's called Richard Hung Himself. It was, you know, it's the biggest show on earth. And I was watching, and I'm just all like, yeah. you know. But, uh-huh. but those things kind of bounce off me anyway. Because yeah. I don't really, like, what was it? Somebody was saying in the Beatles that they don't really look at themselves in the industry as them anymore. It's just like some other person. You know, it's just kind of weird, you know. So you kind of, you know, I don't really, you know, it's no big deal that they covered it because it, it's just music and, you know, it, it's just, we all love music. So it was pretty cool, though. I yeah. like that. And that then what else? Oh, this. Codmouth Kings covered Johnny's Got a Problem. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, The Offspring covered uh, Falling Out on their album. Right, right. See, there's a lot of them out there. I feel touched, really. Yeah. Not, not physically <laughs> touched, but emotionally touched, uh, I'm not going to cry. Do you have any hankies, a handkerchief? Yeah, I got one right here, man. <laughs> oh, God, I love, you, used, love everybody. <laughs> oh, it's monogrammed. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, so how did you come across this? I, it I says don't know G-G- if you mentioned this, but uh, oh, yeah, right. how did you come across this? Okay, this is weird because Frank Jr. was growing up like he was a baby when the, uh, we were playing. You know, he was just actually born in the mix of the gigs. So he was nibbling information from his dad you know, when he got to be about, I don't know, 18, 17, 18, and started collecting all the early early recordings of his, his uncle and his dad's, like, you know, trilogy, because he was a punker from the get-go, so that's just what, what all he knew. So he got this from his dad, who had it in his garage or something for years and years and years, and it had that social distortion cut on it with early detours and some early adolescent singles and stuff. There were demo tapes. And so he just got that one. And we're like, we're, like, we're virtually like it's like a, a like hot topic. We're selling all we have. We have a bunch of like CDs. Want a shirt? Here, have a button. You know, anything we have. So Frank had all these old adolescence uh, DVDs and old DI DVDs that he had collected that he was just selling. You know, he was copying them, I think. But what do you do? Piracy <laughs> is our middle name, baby. But uh, okay, uh, back to the uh, back to the show. Um, I, it was just sitting there on the in the cassettes that he had just made, and I looked at it, and I'm all like, "Boombox SD." So he duplicate these? So a bunch of them? Well, no, he only made a handful of them. He only made one or two extras that from that original copy. Oh, that okay. you know, but you know, he didn't. It wasn't master. He had so much stuff nobody knew what was there. Though, you know, he had stuff yeah. that there was so much stuff everybody was like could wouldn't imagine that the first SD recording was on that thing. It was just so yeah. so buried in the archives of sales and just things yeah. found in the you know the the garages of uh, so, uh, of uh, the rock and rollers. I guess it would be the garages. It's like a garage tape. But yeah, so I found that and I played it and I'm all like just, I'm all, wait a minute, this goes way back than anybody could really imagine that it did go back. Because I know the tones and who was in there and the lyrics are different and, the, you know, my old singer Tom was singing and it was blowing my mind. I just couldn't believe it. I'm all like, I flash back all the way to my like early high school days in one song. And I hadn't ever done that in my life, had anything take me back, you know, this far. Maybe Bridge Over Troubled Waters when I wet my pants for the first time. <laughs> I, think, I think that was, you know, that changed my life. 
you know, yeah, you know what, you know. That's always fun. Yeah, I like, I like pissing bridge myself. over troubled water. You know, because I, I was actually had troubled waters because I didn't know one and two went off at the same time. So you, you let loose. So I learned that one fast. I'm all, that's, gosh, dang it. It's called a milestone moment. It was a milestone moment. So, yeah, when I heard that tape, because my mom, Virginia Royer, was like, you know, just letting us just play, you know. They, you know, and it was pretty groundbreaking. They just were glad we were, you know, home and having fun and not in trouble and stuff. That's just crazy how this that one song just ended up on this compilation. So I wonder where the original tape is of that. You know what? I'm going to do some like a forensics, some like punk rock chronicle investiga- investigatory, <laughs> like you know, research. Investigatory. Yeah, yeah. That's a big word. I can't even <laughs> spell it. But um, I'll, I'm going to try to find out exactly the you know where those other tapes were or where the other songs were from that collection. Because uh, at one time we thought we were going to be rich, but we were dumb. We just no scene. You know. We were like, everybody didn't like us, but we're all like, all right. It was one pompous kind of dude, you know. He's all like, oh, I could take this to uh, Sony and we'll see what we can do with it. Yeah. One of those oh, guys, one of those guys, you know, oh, yeah. name dropping, finger pointing, like, yeah. look at me, look at me, guy. And then he was all like, we're all okay, cool. So I gave him the only recording on cassette from a boombox somewhere. It was a black tape with like white label on it. I'm never going to forget it because I'm all like, dang, when Mike said that he made the band up after me, you know, or whatever, I just wish I would have had that because everybody likes to know. Inquiring minds want to know. Yeah. But, um, uh oh, that's already copywritten, isn't it? Yeah. No, that's okay. It might be out of, out of might Re- be luck. It's been gone for a while. Requiring. Requiring minds want to know. <laughs> so, okay, so there might be more. You're saying there might be more, some more material out there, I think, there, right? oh, there definitely is more material. And Frank uh, Sr. might have the, uh, the key to Pandora's box. I don't know what's going to happen. But, but I hit those guys up before I came in because me and you know, Stan have been working on some stuff. And um, they just didn't get back with me, you know, because if I got just some dates, I think there was a summer, a summer between, uh, between 77 and 78 where maybe that was when it was done, like early 77. Wow. Or early, early 70, 78, late 77, you know, one of those kind of things. Right. But it was the very first, the oldest thing there is. I mean, Tom Corvin singing, there's no SD with Tom singing. No. You know what, you know what Social Distortion's first name was? Tommy Klitlick in the dents. <laughs> How did that not stick? Well, <laughs> well, well, we all we all like a, well at, at that time we really uh, liked our cars and we didn't want to have jinx ourselves, you know, accidents, dents. But yeah, Tommy Klitlick, like, Tommy Klitlick in the dents was a good name. Yeah. Did you guys play? You guys but then, I made, parties, then right? I made up the name Social Distortion myself. I did. I was taking a sociology class and Mike played through a distortion pedal. We were a two piece. So social, you know. The, Definition of sociology is interaction of culture, right? And this music culture was steamrolling everything. And that was, a, you know, I just kind of like made the parallel between interaction of cultures to the interaction of music. And then distortion was just like a mess, you know, just a grindy sound, you know, like distorted, you know, guitar and just kind of a warped way of thinking and stuff, you know, distortion. And um, that was it. I remember I scratched it on my, like, you know, my album or my cover on my um my peachy folder remember those oh, yeah. the peachy folder i made a little social distortion thing with like a stage and little drums and amps you know all drawn three-dimensional cubes and marshall cube right and then just i was standing there but i lost it somewhere in my if somebody has that out there and like uh, you know uh, yeah i couldn't even imagine a chronicle having, having shit from that far long ago in my life you know yeah they haven't resurfaced yeah all those decades later like what the hell like, <laughs> well, who kept this? Brought back i got some moment. stuff i got some stuff well fat mike's doing the punk rock uh 
museum, museum I think, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah, so he's got that going. So he's trying to c- connect with people that have got some really freaky stuff. And I should show him this. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that would, he'd, 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 he'd like lose oh. some weight. It'd be, like his, it'd be like a laxative for him almost. It'd be so exciting. <laughs> But I mean, we were thrilled, man. It's pretty amazing, and the fact that it uh, it might even be just the first of of several. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I definitely think so. I think there's there's some more somewhere, unless and there's got to be because the tape that I had has got to be a different one, and there must have been two copies of it. Why did Why did you stop playing? Well, with same recording distortion. But, like, how did that whole end, and then um, jumped, then you jumped into the detours, right? Well, the, that point or. Uh, the CSD, and then we ended up going into the detours for about a year, only about a year or two, and then the adolescence jumped well, wh- up. Why, in so why did you? Yeah, why did social distortion stop when you with your first version of it? It just I don't really know. I just kind of just you know, well, me and Rick were in SD. You know, when I kicked Mike out, Rick was playing drums and I was singing. So. Um, me and Rick, and then Rick met the Detours guys, you know, Gordon and Mike and Jeff. And in the party circuit, you know, kegger parties, you know, summer, high school, you know, we were just like living that thing. And he met these guys at a party, you know, and then, you know, I met them because we all kind of went to parties in our own little cities. They're from La Habra and we were from Fullerton, you know, and it's Anaheim. It's all like kind of, you know, you know, everybody goes to the, the parties when you hear about the party, no matter what city it's in, La Habra, you know. So we ran into those guys and those guys were playing music. And so me and Rick joined, went to their like area of practice and it was, it was, the most reckless fun thing we had done yet and it was just fun as it gets you know i mean we're just like you know writing songs called you know pee you know drinking the wine from my bladder makes her feel all right inside she'd rather drink my piss than semen and when she's i'm empty she will cry pee 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 she is my urination baby. <laughs> I piss on her on the floor. She rolls in golden shower ecstasy. And, you know, we were just like, it was just like, and I was playing, and Rick Rick was playing drums for him for a little while when they were just kind of like, didn't have oh, Yeah, that's right. He, he yeah, mentioned that. right before yeah. I got in there and then yeah, Rick went yeah. to guitar. And that was just. That's right. He plays everything. Yeah, Rick's oh, all like, we got Casey to play drums. Yeah. And then, um, and, and then <laughs> so Rick played guitar and it was, it was fast. It was double time on my ride. I always play double time on my ride. So I was just like, you know, it was pretty cool, you know, all kinds of crazy songs that were really good. And then, uh, and then that, I don't know why it broke up. We didn't really care about anything because we had no intentions of being anything. Yeah. I mean, this was just totally like, just for shits Living and giggles, the there's no success. We're just hanging around with our friends, making fun, having fun. No one's going to be successful. It's just impossible. We're just a bunch of losers. <laughs> you know, we're drinking beers and making up stupid songs, just having fun for ourselves. For yeah. more of like kind of like a, a vanity, you know, and an, and an addiction kind of like, you know, scenario. But um, so then the detours just fell apart because another opportunity came up. And we just said, okay, well, we're just going to go play over here probably because it was closer to home. You know, yeah, simple yeah, as that. yeah, probably as simple as that because we didn't have a car, right. you know, or something as dumb as that. So then we just started playing with, you know, that's when Steve bailed from Agent Orange, you know, you know that, you know, yeah. good drummer, yeah. good drumming we've case. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. But um, so that that's when that morphed, and then we were together with that for about about six months to like eight months, and we got approached. We we got a manager Eddie Subtitle who's in the subtitles Eddie in the subtitles he's an oh, older yeah. older guy he was Sweet like thing. he was tw- he was like 
in his late 20s probably when we were all like in the adolescence. So he took us under his wing. I don't know why he would do that, but he just like liked us or something. We're all this, I guess we're quirky little like, you know, bad news bears, punk rock kids from uh, Fullerton. And, you know, so Eddie just said, I'll be your manager to get you gigs. Because there was only one club, the Cuckoo's Nest, and there was another club called The Mask. Brendan Muller, who passed away like 10 years ago, Brendan Muller was like an older guy too, who had a cool hat and dressed in a coat like New York dude. And then he was like, ran The Mask up on Hollywood and Vine in the late 70s. That was the only club that was in Hollywood that before the, you know, before the Starwood or the Whiskey or any of those, you know, Troubadour started having punk shows. And um, so Eddie just started getting us gigs. So we just went with the flow. Okay, we're in this band now. We have a direction, you know, and Eddie would give us drugs to sell pills to the crowd and stuff. He's, he's re- <laughs> reckless, you know. Nice. I, I remember me and Rick Agnew and Mike Ness going to Eddie's house on West Side of Fullerton, knocking up. Eddie just cracks the door open, you know, it's totally hammered. He's heavy alcoholic. So, what, what's up, boys? And they were all nothing, man. You got any got any weed? We're just skipping school or something like that. And then you know, <laughs> he's all wait, wait a second, and then pours a full tumbler full of ice to the top uh, I think it was a Disneyland tumbler full, pours it full with Bacardi 151 straight on the, <laughs> on the ice it. and just chugged it oh. and then it goes shit Come on in, boys. <laughs> and then we went to, we were like walking around. And Eddie's apartment has nothing but a guitar, a beat-up TV, and just a couch, you know. So we go to the refrigerator. There's no food. Open it up the, to the lettuce tray, and there's a hundred, there's sheets of acid. <laughs> sheets of acid. Nice. You know, we're just all like, whoa. So at that point, we were stumbling into the next, you know, chapter, I guess we'd call it. And then we started getting some shows and punk started growing because all the bands around, like the Vandals and, you know, all the bands started in their own little areas almost about the same time. Like about the summer of after the Damned's first single, Need, 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 and like uh, God Save the Queen came out. Everybody just the next summer started the bands and stuff. So we were just like luckily facilitated by these visionaries or stupid people that didn't know better that nobody liked maybe was the problem maybe it because nobody liked us because we were out of you know just kind of just drunk all the time and just you know being upstarts and like suburbia the movie so we ended up just doing that for about six months to a year and then we played at the starwood when they started having gigs and the media started really hitting up like the scene and then lisa fancher frontier records approached us at the starwood and said do you guys want to record an album and then that's when that first six albums came out on frontier records in like 81 or something and then we said yeah 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 why not so basically we just stumbled and followed opportunity, other than having any kind of real direction or plan at all, ever. You know, there's no business plan. We just, luckily, you know, through our music and our just our scene and whatever we did with it, it just worked, you know. And to this day, we're still playing the same songs that we played, you know, back in the day. Yeah, it's so raw, man. I mean, that early shit, it's amazing. Yeah, know? crazy, huh? Like, uh, you know, the first Adolescence Blue record that we did, like, it's just like... It's an emotional album, you know what I mean? Because you could feel the connection between Tony and the way the songs are written, like No Friends. You know, it just it feels like it's a song about no friends, something's really not written for the fact to sell, written for the fact of the emotions that were being felt when it was written, for whatever the case may be. Talk and about it, the, the black hole. That's always like your story about that. That's a good one. Yeah, because yeah, uh, when Mike... Um, 
like Mike's dad and ma, stepmom, Mike, Mike's, they're divorcing. Remember, we wrote Mama's Little Monster? Well, they divorced, and he moved into my house for about like four months because his parents were fighting and divorcing and just out of control stuff, right? And it's all like, so my mom took him in and said, Mike, you can live in Casey's room for a while as long as you go to school. And I got him the job at, you know, University Village, you know, which was the student community where we met the early SD guys. And so he lived there for a while, and then they, you know, whatever happened, I'm not sure who facilitated the, the separation, but Mike had his place with his mom, Heather and Troy, his brother and sister, and then the the wild dad that was kind of abusive and that kind of made the marriage fall apart. I'm assuming got stayed in his world. So then the black hole was the name of the apartment that Mike got after the divorce. They got, I guess, you know, whatever placement situation. They got two apartments: one for Mike and Joey Manforty was his roommate because Mike was growing up. He was like a freshman. He's like, I can't live in one apartment with my brother and my sister and you. Because Mike was a little snobby, kind of, you know. And so, uh, so the black hole became our hangout because there was nobody there. You know, we could just drink beers there. And, like, you know, and the Sex Pistols just came out. It was, like, the late 70s. So we're piercing our ears with, like, ice cubes and potatoes, you know. And, you know, you'd freeze it up and you put the potato behind it and stuff for the first time. Because, like, you know, the, masoch- the mutilation and the, ma- you know, the masochism of, like, the early Sex Pistols depictions were of just cut yourself. I remember Tony carved no way in his chest once because Tony was so hammered and drunk all the time when we were playing. It was, you know, just like, just like Darby Crash, just, just, just stumbling, you know. But so the cutting was just really weird, you know, because, uh, you know, it was the very first time that we had that subculture was kind of nasty, you know what I mean? Like you just like sex was, you just have sex with a girl for fun, you know, and just like, you know, cut yourself because you're just mad at society. You know, just weird, you know, weird like philosophies on what to do. And then the pistols kind of led us into that because Sid Vicious and all those guys were, you know, they're, you know, self-mutilating characters. And so we just followed their lead. I can't believe our parents didn't, like I said, put us in an institution at that point. 5150. Yep, see you kids later. <laughs> Boy, you're not going to yell, I'm an antichrist in my house. It's crazy, though, because that whole mindset, you know, when you guys were going through it, you guys saw the Sex Pistols do it, you guys started gravitating to it. And then, fuck, I mean, how many crazy fuckers did we hang around with in the, ni- in the late 80s, early 90s that were doing the same shit? Yeah. You know? We just we mimicked you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's trippy because we had a good thing going because it was honest a depiction of like what was going on. You didn't make stuff up. You just told what was happening, and then that just hung on. Plus the guitar tones and stuff changed so much from like you know Foreigner and Journey to the Sex Pistols and the Damned. You know, it was a guitar sound that was you know revolutionary. Yeah, that's right. Great innovation. Well, I mean, like Steve Jones, I used to play guitar one time in like <laughs> down in a dark part of like London. But it was a stark contrast to what you guys heard previous to the Sex Pistols. You I know lo- what I mean? Yeah, and, I love those guys. And, and, I'm just and kidding. They, and they just took well, no, and I know you are. It, it, you know, but like. They took this music and they said, "All right, no more fucking four-minute interludes. Yeah. No, no three and a half-minute fucking solos. You know what I mean? Just cut all that shit out. Play the riff. You know, whatever. 
you know, the, the structures of the song, they just pared it down, and it was just an honest blast of... Yeah, rebellion. Rebellion. Well, England at that time was, like, really overpopulated, and it was over-opinionated and just, like, drunk and just, like, just... You know, all kinds Loaded. of all kinds of like weird emotions and energies flying around there. Like Johnny Lydon, we used to get like like it was such a small community that he'd get beat up whenever anybody would see him. They'd jump out of their the service trucks and beat him up if you were an electrician. There's that little fuck Johnny Rotten, let's go fuck him up. They'd kick his ass. I mean, he couldn't like get home sometimes because he was walking around the street living like the punk life, and people are all like would actually wanted to you know beat him up and stuff. And I'm all like. I mean, one time I was sitting with Pennywise outside of the tour van at the Punk Rock Invasion tour, and here comes Johnny Lydon walking down the hill, right? I hadn't seen him for a while. I'm sitting with Fletcher and all the dudes, and, uh, like, he walks down. I'm all like, I haven't met this guy ever. I go, how's it going, Mr. Rotten? And he's all, fuck you, you fucking California rich motherfucking asshole. And I'm all like, well then, well then. And then Fletcher, Fletcher Pennywise goes like, hey, Johnny, shut your mouth, leave Casey alone, or I'm going to break your fucking arm. And I'm all like, okay, Sounds okay, like there's something, something I don't know going on around here. And, you know, okay. And then he's all, get away from my bus. And then we're all like, we're not even close to your bus. You know, and he walked on his bus, you know, fucking wankers, slams the door. So I'm all, what, what happened, you guys? Why does he hate the case? He's all, no, he hates Pennywise. Because Fletcher said, because Johnny said something derogatory about like, ah, you rich fucks, I should, if I didn't know if I'd stick you with it. You know, something stupid. Yeah. And then Fletcher's all, I'll go get the knife. Wait right here. <laughs> and then goes to the kitchen and gets a butcher knife and calls him on it and stuff. And he's all, see, you're just a, just, I, see, see. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to get into detail, but he's ever since then, he just said, like, you know, he didn't like, didn't like all of us. I guess he thought I was in the band or something. That's I don't know. so weird. But yeah, he's, so he's an angry kind of character anyway. I saw him like uh, with a bunch of like rock stars talking about like the, the beginning of punk rock. Like Johnny, John, uh, Marky Ramone's on one side of the, the crew and then Johnny's on the other side. Uh, you probably maybe have seen this. Oh, I saw that on over, He's all 74. I saw that on YouTube. Johnny yeah. Rodden, 74, Marky's Worth saying. They right? They were all arguing. <laughs> Johnny's all drunk. Yeah. I'll give you some wine. Yeah, I made it up. You know, it was so gnarly. It was the coolest thing ever. I couldn't believe it. And then 74. I'm never going to forget Mark. He's saying that over and over again. Just bottom lining him, you know, like, you know, yeah, all I see that. 74. Four. <laughs> it's the four. Fourth year in the 70s. You know, he's all, uh, yeah, I made it up. And so you made it up. 77 year record came out. 74. <laughs> Just, it was awesome. It was awesome. Marky's great. I love Marky. We're good friends. Nice. We said, we went on tour together. When I, I, I toured with the Misfits, with D.I. Misfits, The Damned. And the, and the Misfits had Marky Ramone, Ramone playing drums for 30 days. It was the Fiend Fest tour, wow. 2008. And Dez was playing guitar, right? One of the best moments in Casey's career was when uh, Jerry said, hey, do you want to sing Blitzkrieg Bob? Because they played some Ramone songs at the end of the set, you know, because Marky's playing drums. He had the thing on it, you know, it's all like, you know, cool. And then he's all, hey, you want to sing Blitzkrieg Bob in Philadelphia or, or West or, or some one of those weird cities, right? I'm all, yeah, sure. And so I get up there, and I was singing it with a big crowd, you know, and I, I didn't realize what I was doing at first. And I looked to my right, and here comes Jerry Only, walked right up to me for the last Hey Ho, Let's Go, the four, four out to the, you know, the end of the song. Right. And, um, and then Dez walks right up to me, and I'm kind of right in front of Marky's drum set. And so I'm going, hey, ho, and I look, 
what I'm doing, and I blew my own mind. I couldn't even believe it because it was just so easy to do, you know, because it was fun because those guys are cool dudes. And But when I just realized the gravity of just, like, you know, singing that song with Marky Ramone, Jerry Only, and Dez from Black Flag, that it's just, you know, never going to happen again. And then the kids that were at the show were stoked. Oh, check this one out. We're, like, D.I.'s playing at the observatory, and, uh, and uh, Noodles comes up and then they're all we got a special thing for you noodles is going to play guitar for amoeba so noodles walks up everybody's yelling and stuff and he plays for amoeba and um and then uh everybody's all yelling yeah that was great that was great and eddie goes you thought that was good watch this ross from gbh walks out eddie hands ross the bass Noodles has the guitar, so all of a sudden we're rocking with Ross at GBH, Noodles on guitar, nice. and the crowd goes nuts, and they're all screaming and just, like, laughing, and, you know, it's going, this is so damn cool, you know, because they're all, like, half my age and don't know better to know that we're just a bunch of old, like, rock and rollers who are just playing a game. That's fucking But we're good actors. I, I don't think it's I'm a, a musician. A it's a hell of a I, game. I'm an actor, but my longest running role is as a musician is really the answer. Well, in DI, you have, your lineup has been pretty steady. Yeah, we have 21 years with this band now. Clint Calton, uh, you know, we have Trevor Luca from Long Beach. He was, uh, he's the younger, he's been in there six years, but the rest 21. But Trevor, we were, we were going to four-piece for a long time because they were, the, you know, that precise that it kind of messed up if there was more. So we held our own with a four-piece. Then Trevor got to be in the band because he was on tour with Jack Gresham on a Jack solo tour. And then Clint Calton was playing guitar for Jack, so they met. So he loves D.I. And so his little lungs, he's smaller. He's a smaller framed guy. So he sounds like us when we were like 18. He's all, have a good time. And we're all like, the missing link. You know, because got, he's got the, the vocal tone that matches perfectly and the, and the guitar tone. And I'm all, way to go, Clint, finding like Trevor. He's a cool dude. Yeah. And writes a Harley, he's tatted. You know, nice guy. And then um, he's all, case, okay, so check it out. I went and saw you guys play with Sham 69 when I was 16 years old. My dad took me. And I was like going, man, I I wish I could play for DI. I could, this was so out of reach. I could never do that. And now he's playing guitar for DI. And when he told us this story, we're all like, that is so awesome. He's in the band now that he, no wonder you play so well, you know, because he was following the songs. And uh, it's the magic of music once again, you know, it's just. It's something about it. When you get the right combination of, like, you know, elements, the tones, the vocals, the, you know, the textures of overlaying guitars to vocals, and it's just like, it's, it's a, a recipe that's way underrated in the uh, science world, you know? Well, with that saying, let's, uh, let's roll into a DI song. Excellent. What song should we play? I don't know. Um, my call? How about... Uh, I actually think it should be Casey's call on this one. I trust you. It's, yeah, it's well, you're music, the... Man. I don't pick know. Pick one, pick one. Okay, check this one out. Okay, how about, how about Stand Up? That refers to the arms race. The way uh, we're, we're uh, uh, giving arms to different countries to fight our wars for us. Okay. So, uh, and uh, it's funny. The very first lines are, when we get the 81s, we'll ship them right to you. So that means DI was around since 82. Yeah. Another angle. Another angle. Uh -huh. All right, here All right. we go. Stand right. up, America. When we get the 81s, we'll ship them right to you. It's the American way, it's the thing to do. I can take anything I want. The right to choose is always mine. I'm counting on you. Stand up, stand up and strike. 
fun But I feel like I'm the only one discussion casey was awesome man thanks for for joining us today thanks for having me guys it was great man we appreciate it yeah it's awesome so do you uh so do you have anything coming up you want to plug anybody you want to talk about anything well uh i guess we have a show at the uh, oc tavern down in san Clemente in june 11th which is going to be pretty cool and on in july on the second we are playing the observatory in san diego with tsol the dickies DI and the Voodoo Glow Skulls. That's going to be in July. That's stacked. Now. Yeah, there's Great a bunch. Lineup. And then we have, you know, the DI Facebook site and then the Rattlelessence Facebook site and stuff. And and all that stuff is going on. I have my uh, that, that TV show on YouTube called PNX News. That's capital PNX as in news and X as in Xene. Okay. No, uh, yeah, yeah, PNX News. That's been going on YouTube for a little while. Me and uh, my brother Carl Boyer and uh, Roberta Bird do a, a, you know, kind of a stand-up commentary news show about that interviews punk rock bands and promotes that punk rock band and gives out their information for sales directly to the bands like exploited we'll get your exploited stuff at exploited.com you know that kind of thing we're kind of self-promoting our own scene like we did when we first started the whole thing in fact somebody said that to me he's all do you know what you're doing and i actually said no and um he's all you're new school re-representing punk again from this platform with pnx news Nonprofit, promoting your own bands and stuff are just fun. So yeah, PNX News is a lot of fun. We have a lot of you know we interview the Dam, the Misfits, you know yeah. everybody and That's everybody. A great show. So it's a great, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm familiar with them and it's a it is a great show. Well, I think well, Birdie, yeah, uh, we that. interviewed Birdie right for our documentary. She yeah. sat down with us at the Buzz Bash. <laughs> yeah, the Buzz oh, Bash. Yeah. That, was, that was gnarly. She was at the Exploited tonight. Wow. Yeah, I know, man. Fuck, that's awesome, dude. So. uh couple things coming up that I just want to throw out there, too, because I'm a fan of Guttermouth. They've got a couple shows coming up in Orange County. Uh, July 1st, they'll be at the Observatory, I think, with the Dickies. And then they're playing the next day at the Roxy with Ignite. Ignite's rad. Yeah, they're a great band. Great. Have been. One of the best. And um, Ignition. And what else is going on? I mean, we're still we're still working on our documentary. So. Oh, I got one, Stan. I, I just had a you know a brainstorm. There's one going on with Agent Orange playing at the Tiki Bar on July 9th. 
Ooh, July 9th, okay. And it's going to be with a couple local bands, like a, a friend of mine, Clint Carroll, who's the uh, son of the famous Corky Carroll, the surf champion. Who, oh, right. I think he won the Pipeline Masters, even. Yeah, Corky's. So, uh, so Clint Carroll's band, the Clint Carroll band, is playing with Agent Orange. And, you know, Agent Orange surf band, you know, from SoCal. And then Clint's band is, he's a professional surf instructor. So his band is very fitting for this show. And uh, a guy named Steve Cabler, Krabby, in a band called... El Centro. Do you remember that band, El Centro? Oh, well, they're yeah. from they're Centro, from yeah. they're from Newport. Yeah. So so that's gonna be a really, really fun show of a lot of local, you know, misfits of the surf community will be hanging around at the Agent Orange show on July 9th, and that's gonna be a lot of fun. Because that's what punk is all about, having fun. It is. That's why we're that's why we're doing this, man. Totally. We're in, for, we're in it for the love. You know, there's an ill repute show coming up and I'm trying to look it up. I'm not sure if it uh it's a characters in Pomona. Oh, it's got yeah. Decry. Um, I love Decry. Farrell. Let me see here. When yeah. is that show? I love Villa Yeah, Repute. we were lucky enough to interview him, too. That was, that was fun. So shout, shout out to Hyla, my girlfriend. There we go. So she'll kiss me more. Yeah, that's always good. It's a perk. It's just it's a perk. That's June 11th, is that show? Yeah, June 11th, Ill Repute, Decry, Latchkey Kids. Uh, it's, at a, it's at Characters in Pomona. Great so place. If you're in that area, uh, Casey says it's a great place. I've never been there, but I'm sure it's rad. Cause off, off the 10 freeway in the Pomona Mall. Pomona Lisa, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> Pomona Lisa. I think somebody pulled a gun on us last time we were there. Yeah, it could get crazy. You know, something crazy. There, They're sure. all characters. I've got a lot of, uh, <laughs> I got friends in Pomona, so yeah, totally. It gets a little gnarly, but it's all good. Uh, yeah, uh, so follow us, Punk Rock Chronicles, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, where the county line ends, the evolution of Orange County Punk. That line was influenced, that, that title was influenced by D.I. Yeah, uh, I was going to say that's a really, really cool one because you know what, you know, we're all connected in this kind of amazing thing you're doing and what I'm doing. So that that's very fitting, you know, on the wall right there. That was Chris. Chris came up with that idea. Chris is the man. Of, we got it. it. It's wonderful. It's really nice. Uh, did you do the artwork on that? No. Oh, no. yeah. You know, who Jason. Did, did I would, I would have taken credit. Mr. I would have said yes. I was, oh, that was me. Oh, oh yeah. I did it. No problem. Uh, actually, I'll throw uh, uh, Mr. Hat for you. Uh, I don't know if you know Infirmities. Oh, the infirmities, yeah. Yeah, Jason, yeah. the singer. Yeah, we played with those guys designer. quite often. Yeah, he's got a good, like, a goatee. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. <laughs> got the perfect goatee. But Is uh, that a real goatee, do you think? Because <laughs> I saw a little peely part up at the top, but it looks better than the real McCoy. If it's not real, I wish I had one. I don't think anyone's been brave enough to check. Yeah. <laughs> but he's, he's actually a shredding uh, gr uh, graphic designer. Great so. singer, great singer. That band is really good. Yeah, those yeah. guys are cool, positive. Um, so he did our graphic. He's going to be doing our graphic design work, and he started. he's going to do our movie poster when it, we're even to that point, and and other graphic elements. So, Mr. Hat, check him out. If you like our logo, this guy's really good. Hats so, off to Hat. Mr. Hat's rad. <laughs> um, and I don't know, man. That's all I got. So, Oh, you know, just to be a, a, the last, um, we, we recently had a, a guest on the show, uh, Eric Blair, so I want to give him a shout-out. Thanks again for coming on the show. And uh, if you want to yeah, check out some our interviews, show. Yeah. Uh, he has a show called Blaring Out. Um with Eric Blair. You can find that on YouTube. He's got like a thousand videos up there. So yeah. you, know, you can go check that out. Um, and uh, I just want to thank everybody for coming in tonight. And thanks for listening. And I don't know. You guys have anything else? Uh, all I know is I hate surfing in HB. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, it's like one day at a time. 
Hey, thanks for having me, you guys. This is really an amazing like uh, situation. Good vortex of energy, I might say. Cool. Good times. All right, brother. Well, All right. It was an honor. Thanks again, man. Hey, can you give me a ride home? I don't have a car. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out. And uh, you can pay the gas money because I'm broke. Anybody, anybody out there? Can uh, somebody pick up Casey, please? Yeah. We'll get, yeah. Out. We'll get Ricky Menace. Oh, excellent. Oh, yeah. There we Taxi go. Ricky. Oh, yeah. Right. Call, call the, we are so incestuous. Man, I love it's it. all like, it just all interconnects, right? I know. It's, it's kind of crazy. Works. Ricky, come pick up Casey, please. We're, we're like astronauts. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> all okay. right. Okay. Uh, we're going to go out with uh, I Hate Surfing and HP. So have a great night, guys, and thank you. Adios.